I learned a lot. If you fell off sideways, you landed on the damp, uh, the darn cement over there. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. One of the things you had to use, if you used pomade in your hair, you had to wear a bathing cap. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. Yes, thanks for coming back today. We've got an incredible show. He's one of my favorite singers out today, and he is one of the best singer-songwriters, period. And he has just recorded his 14th record titled It's Never Too Late to Call, which is set to drop August 6th. And you can catch him live coming to a city near you for his nationwide tour. And you can go to paulthorne.com backslash tour for ticket information. But he is here today, the pride of Tupelo, Mississippi. Paul Thorne. Paul, how are you, buddy? Man, I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing so good. You're probably... Wonderful. Is, is this the first time you started performing? since the pandemic hit no i've had i've had probably uh six or seven shows coming back you know scattered about but uh, uh next week i'm going on the first real run it's going to be uh, three weeks of shows only like two nights off for the whole time so yeah it's, it's picking back up how hard has the pandemic been not being able to perform well to be honest uh i mean the only thing i really lost was money because i wasn't working for a year but uh, what I gained was I got to be with my family for an entire year, which is something I never get to experience. And, I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I got to go to my daughter's soccer games. I got to drag the garbage out to the road. Just mundane stuff that most people take for granted, but not me. I love it. I like sweeping out the carport, too. <laughs> well, you can come over here. Uh, I've got a bunch of yeah. stuff I need to get done. But the, the, the only bad thing is I did get COVID and I was sick for two weeks in the bed. Uh, it was it was rough. But really, I survived it. Uh, it was tough. It was everything they said it was. I felt like I was ninety five years old laying in the bed, didn't have any strength to get up. Yeah. Oh, so you got but it I bad. It. I did. You know, it's weird. I'm a I'm pr pretty fit guy, but the the the, the disease doesn't seem to care about that because a lot of times frail people survive and strong people die. It's weird. It is weird. But I made it. That's yeah. good. That's really good. Did you get it early on or did you get it later on? Uh, well, I got it. My mom, who has dementia, we uh, she wanted to have one more Christmas with her kids and immediate family. And so we had a Christmas of 10 people to keep a social distance and everything. And even in spite of that, two days after Christmas, eight of the 10 of us had COVID. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was rough, man. Wow. But, uh, did your mom get yeah, it too? Yes, yes, she did. Oh. My mother and my mother and my dad got it, and they're in their eighties. I mean, they're eighty, and it didn't, it didn't, it didn't kill them. I, I was afraid it would, but it didn't. Good. Thank God, yeah. Did it hit you the hardest? I think it might have hit my dad the hardest because he had to go in the hospital. And they had to give him air to breathe. They didn't have to do that with me, but uh, but it was bad. It's just I'm I'm glad it's behind me now. Oh man, yeah, I'm glad glad y'all made it. everybody made it out. Yeah, yeah, you know? none of us died. We're all good now. Good man, that's scary. That's crazy. Eight out of the ten got it. Like yeah, that's sure it is. <laughs> you should go play the lottery. I think after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy. Yeah. Okay, so aside from COVID during the pandemic, you've enjoyed it. So this upcoming album is this something you've been working on during the pandemic? Nope. I recorded this song right before. I recorded this album right before the pandemic hit. It was. It was literally. It was at the end of 2019. 
that I had this album ready. But when the pandemic hit, uh, there I decided there's no real productive way to promote anything. So because the, the world was, was brought to a halt. But I just uh, I sat on it all this time and it's coming out uh, August 6th. I'm really proud of it. We, re- we recorded it at uh, Sam Phillips studio in Memphis. Mm. And we had a great producer, a young man by the name of Matt Ross Bang. It was a great producer. We had a great time cutting the record. I feel real good about the songs. You know, I hadn't put out an album of original material in six years. I've put a couple albums out, but one was a gospel album of covers, and the other one was a was a covers album. And to be honest, uh, I didn't think my songs were up to my standard. I, I have a pretty good standard for my songs. And there's no point in putting out a record if you just got okay songs. But uh, after these six years, I've got some songs I feel really good about, and uh, I think these songs will resonate with people. You know, usually albums have a couple songs that you like to skip over in most of them, but yeah. on yours, I like everyone's a home run. Like I love them all. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it's a, you know, just, it's a, writing a great song is it's really hard to do. And uh, the ones that I've been a part of that people seem to like, uh, most uh, came with a price, you know, like uh, the, the title of the album is Never Too Late to Call. And that song was born when, well, I have a sister, Deborah, who passed away of cancer a little over a year ago. Oh, I'm sorry. And uh, I could call her late at night, anytime or hour, and she'd always be awake because she was a night owl. And more than once when I would, ap- I would apologize when I'd call her, I'd say, I'm sorry I'm calling so late. And she'd say, more than once, she would say, don't worry, it's never too late to call. And that she said that more than once. And, and it just stuck in my head. And when she passed, I wrote never too late to call in, in her memory. But it's it's larger than just her. Everybody out in, on the planet, it's comforting to know that you have somebody in your life that you can call at any, at any hour. And that's a rare thing. And if you have those kind of people in your life, they're to be cherished, you know? Right. Wow, that's beautiful. You got your uh, guitar there. Do you want to play? Yeah, I'll do that. Here's the song from, I wrote for my sister. Some nights I get intoxicated to forget about what's wrong. If you feel like a sparrow who's fallen, you are not alone. Wearing concrete shoes at the bottom of a lake And it feels like your heart can't take another break Just remember that I love you And it's never too late to call You say you have Hearts that are broken from your heart down to your soul But I see a jewel in the gutter To me you shine like gold When you're wearing concrete shoes at the bottom of a lake And it feels like your heart can't take another just remember that I love you and it's never too late to call When you can't turn out the voices in your head My phone stays on the nightstand 
That's great. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Man. So that's on the new one, right? That's the title cut right there. Yeah. Man, I can see why it's the title. How long does that take you to write? Uh, 56 years. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> it kind of came out. <laughs> I, I actually got that from an old, an old folk artist. He was an old man. And he, he would, I would ask him, "How long did it take you to paint?" They say, "85 years." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I just, I didn't make that up. It's just, I got it from somebody. Uh, oh. It's a good answer. It's the good answer, though. Yeah, oh, my gosh. It's great. <laughs> I didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> and then you straight-faced it. For those that can't see that are just listening, he straight-faced it for about 10 seconds. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. What's oh. up with them belts on the back? What's up with those belts? What are those belts back behind you? All right, so we've got uh, the UFC belt right here. Oh, okay. And then I've got the WWE belt. See, yeah, and, yeah. And the, so they were my—they're my kids, and you know they're just sitting on the rooms, and they're the big nice yeah. belts, the big metal ones, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, those are nice. Yeah. Yeah. I so curious. I figured if they're just gonna sit on the floor, you know, with the dogs walking on them and everything, then I'm just gonna I'm gonna hang them mm -hmm. up because it looks kind of cool. Yeah, that's cool. Absolutely, it's really cool. Yeah. So. It's really cool. But you actually have a real belt for boxing. Yeah, I was a boxer. Uh, by no means was I great, but I was really good, and I was good enough. At one point, I was number 29 in the world, and I got to fight on national TV against uh, Roberto Duran. You know who Roberto Duran is? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah no boss. Uh, uh, I, I fought Duran in 1988, and uh, he was... Uh, you know, that's a weird, I know you meant absolutely nothing about, about that, but I hate when people call him no mass, you know, because he's in the top 10 of probably the greatest fighters who ever lived. And the art, the average armchair fan only remembers him for one thing is when he quit against, uh, against Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah. And this is the guy that was like, he annihilated almost everybody. He was, he was an incredible fighter. And, uh, and when I fought Duran, uh, I had fought some good fighters, but when I fought him, it it it, 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 it gave me an education on what great is. You know, I fought a lot of guys that hit hard. There's guys in bars that can hit hard. That that's that's pretty common. But what made him special 
was he was incredibly hard to hit. That's something that people don't talk about when they talk about Durant, but the purist that knows the game, they this guy was a defensive wizard. Trying to hit him with a clean punch, it was a real task, man. It was hard to hit that guy because he, he could anticipate what you were fixing to do, and a lot of times he would move out of the way before you even throw the punch. He was, he, was so, he was so alert and so good. And the other thing that people don't understand about Durant is when he first became champion, he was championing at 135 pounds, okay? Mm-hmm. But he had an eating problem. He he couldn't quit eating. So he got fat, and so which made him in a higher weight class. But he was so good. Even when he was fat, he was so good. He could go up and fight guys that were naturally bigger than him and win. The only thing that beat Durant was father time, you know. You know. Right, and he had an ungodly record, right? Wasn't he like 90-something and, what, seven or something yeah, it like was that? Yeah, it was, it was a whole over. You know, he had some losses toward the end of his career, but that's the mark of just about anybody who's really great at something, you know, like especially boxing. You know, when you've been that great, there's something inside you that says, if I train hard, I can get back what I had. But at a certain point, you lose your physical ability. And so toward the end of his career, he got beat quite a few times, but that doesn't represent him in any kind of way. uh, That doesn't take away from his greatness at all. He only got stopped once in his career that was a legitimate stoppage He uh, when he fought uh, Thomas Hitman Hearns. You remember that guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he got clocked. Duran got clocked in the second round and fell flat on his face and was knocked unconscious. But once again, he was fighting a guy naturally bigger than him who happened to be the biggest puncher in the world at that time. You're not going to win every fight, but overall... Duran was a monster, man. Uh, I, even though I, you know, I, I hung with him for six rounds, but after the sixth round and between the seventh, uh, the the doctor stopped the fight because I had a horrific cut and I, it was flowing into my vision. But uh, I did get some punches in. I mean, you can watch you can watch it on YouTube. It's it's there. It's a great fight. Well, you know. Okay, so hold on. So I've seen it a couple times, and then so I rewatched it again last night, and I scored it myself. This is, of course, unofficial. I got you actually winning the fight up until the doctor stoppage. What do you think? Do you think you were winning? uh, You know, I I, I don't know that I was – I don't know that I agree with you completely. Uh, uh, If you want want (laughs) to establish that as true, we'll go with that. (laughs) Because <laughs> if you tell something long enough, it becomes the truth, you know. <laughs> and of all things to be known for, yeah. being beating yeah. Roberto Duran at that point of the fight. I mean, yeah. there's worse things he to was be still, known for. Yeah, well, he was still a, a – when I fought him, he was still a force because right after he beat me, he beat Iran Barkley and won the middleweight championship of the world after he fought me. That's what I'm saying. He, he was a 135-pound guy who went up to one. 60 and beat their best guy right That's after he beat me. Incredible. Yeah, it was incredible. And you know, I'll never forget when uh, I got that fight. They flew me out to Atlantic City, Tropicana Hotel and Casino. And uh, I had never met Duran, you know, obviously. And I was thinking, well, he don't, I'm just an opponent. He he don't care, but he's not, he don't know me. He's not looking at tapes of me or whatever. Yeah. And then I was at the casino walking around like the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, <laughs> at a well, well, never been nowhere, you know. And anyway, I was at the bottom. I was at the bottom of an escalator. And up on the top of the escalator, it looked like a swarm of bees of people 
It was just like a cluster of people. And then when they got all the way down to the bottom where I was standing, it was like when Moses spread the sea, it was like the the people just spread out and he was just standing there. And they had told me he was out of shape, which I was hoping was true. Right. He, <laughs> his shoulders were this wide and his waist was this wide. I mean, he was like in immaculate shape. Wow. And my heart was, my heart was going boom, 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 boom. And then he, <laughs> yeah. walked, he had on black sunglasses. His hair was all slick black. He looked like a rock star. And he walked right up to him and he goes, he can't speak English, but he does what he can he just walked right up to me and said hello paul shook my hand and i was just like i mean it was like meeting god what's really funny is you know when i was a kid i liked boxing and i had a poster of roberto duran on my wall when i was a kid and so here i am getting to fight roberto duran and when the fight was over we had to ride in the same ambulance because we both had cuts and um and he he had a big cut over his eye my lip was split all the way up to my nose and in a private moment he he told me that I hurt. He's, I I knew I hurt him once. Uh, I hit him with a left hook, but he was so good. Like I said, you could hit him with one, but hitting him with two was a different a different task. He he was so good. I could hit him like with single punches, but I couldn't do combinations on him because he was just so good at staying out of the way. And uh, on a side note, my, I had my girlfriend down there with me, and it's, and anyway, when we was at the weigh-in before the fight. I noticed that me and more, first of all, me and my girlfriend was having some problems during that time. And so uh, there came a time the night before the fight where she disappeared for a a period of time. And uh, I can't say this as true, but I think uh, Hands of Stone may have also been the bone of stone, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Now, I don't know know this. I can't prove it. But this is what tipped me off is the next day, after the fight, we was having breakfast at the hotel, and I had my stitches and, you know, eating my eggs or whatever. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, somebody from Roberto Duran's – oh, I forgot to tell you, he was talking to my girlfriend during the weigh-in. He was he was flirting with my girlfriend during the weigh-in. So, anyway, the next day, uh, one of his entourage came to our table where we were having breakfast – and he walked straight up to my girlfriend and he goes, here's that shirt Duran said he was going to, here's that shirt Duran said he was going to give you. And so I never, I, you know, I never, I never even confronted her about it because if I'd have been in her shoes, I'd have probably done the same thing, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, it ain't every day you get to sleep with the, the bone of stone. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and if she sees this podcast, she'll just hate me even more. But you know it. <laughs> well, she probably already does. So you're yeah, you know. yeah. Well, you know. But anyway, it's just uh, so. I guess Duran whooped me twice. I guess right. Oh, he he beat you, then took your girl. Oh man. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, <laughs> How did that fight materialize? With Durant? Uh, well, um, I had been fighting in Memphis at a place called the New Daisy Theater. They had fights there every month. But they would bring in, like, real fighters. It wasn't just, like, some dog and pony show. A well-known matchmaker, uh, Mickey Goodwin, I think was his name. I, I can't remember his name. That may not be the right name, but saw me and, uh, and uh, you know, you you have to be, you know, you can't just be off the street and go fight Roberto Duran. I, they saw that I was good enough to give Duran a fight. and uh, But I'm sure they thought that, you know, Duran was going to beat me. I understand that. But they thought this guy's good enough. He can hang with Duran. So 
Uh, and plus I had beaten some fighters that were pretty good. And so I had a, I had some credentials. I had some, a good record and I had a good uh, resume of some people I had beaten that were above average fighters. So I, you know, and so uh, my uncle who was training me negotiated uh, with this guy to have me uh, get the fight. That's you awesome. Know? And you can't turn it yeah. down. No. Cause, and the other thing is when you fight somebody like Duran, it's kind of like being the opening act at a big concert. You don't get paid much, but what you do is you take low money. And, and, and But the plan is if you win, then the next time you get a big payday. So, you know, I don't mind saying how much I got paid. when I, It was like 1988. I got, I got all my expenses paid, hotels, air flights, and everything, and a check for $6,000. That's what I got. But, you know, back in the day working, you know, that was a lot of money to me. Yeah. You know, uh, it's like when you go to a concert and you see the opening act. Most of the time, the opening act's getting played peanuts, yeah. but they're playing for the opportunity to get in front of a larger crowd and may, maybe gain some new fans. So that was a thing. But the good thing about it, strangely enough, uh, about six months before I got the fight, I had bought a trailer, an old trailer. I'd left home and I bought an old raggedy trailer and I borrowed uh, the money from the bank to get this trailer. I swear to God, this trailer cost $6,000. And so when I won the fight, I got my ass beat, but I paid my trailer off. Oh, hell yeah. Boom. <laughs> 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 that's right. that's what that's what is that kiss kismet is that what they call it oh my man i just know i my payments on the trailer was uh 327 a month and so when i when that money got freed up also by that while, while i was fighting i was actually working in a furniture factory too because unless you're the elite you're not gonna get you're not getting paid squat so uh but yeah I, my payments was 327 dollars when i had an extra 327 dollars at the end of the month man i thought i was rich i had a, a trailer that had some orange shag carpet that smelled like cat pee from the previous <laughs> from the previous owner i had an air conditioning in, in the room a one in window air conditioners and i had a bed back in the trailer that had a lion's face on it to let the girl local girls know what was coming you know what i'm saying yeah, that's right. The bone of stone, part two. Or uh, the bone of thorn instead the bone of bone of, thorn. of stone. Right. The bone of the bone of thorn. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. So you kind of would give them a little bit of warning to know that they were getting into, basically, is what it was. You have to, you have to, because you don't want to traumatize anybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my gosh that is too funny oh that's i gotta so okay so training for this fight so you know you're basically a sacrificial lamb like that's what they think they're getting anyway right, right? yeah is that hard called, yeah is that hard going into a fight knowing because i mean you knew and the even the announcers I wrote down a couple of quotes from them. They had no respect. I think just because they didn't know you, obviously. But then well, about the, they had no reason. They had no reason to. Sure, but by the second or third round, when you started turning it on, they were like, "Whoa!" But before that, they said Paul has a five-inch reach advantage, but that won't matter. True and correct. <laughs> And the, the other one, the other, this is the one, this was my, this was my favorite one. Blood shows up much better with Thorne's skin tone because he's so pale. Well, you got to coordinate your colors. Everybody knows that. You can't go out without being coordinated. 
And I knew that, which gave me a gave me a, an advantage. <laughs> oh yeah. man, dude! So wow. going in, was that hard knowing what they thought they were getting with you? You know what? I didn't. I never felt like an. I mean, I felt nervous and, and insecure, but I didn't. I didn't go into it thinking that I was a an opponent. Uh, because actually, had I followed my uncle's strategy, I think I I may have actually won the fight. This is what this was our. What people don't know about boxing. When you're fighting Duran, what you do not want to do is go to him. You do not want to go chase him because he's a master counterpuncher at timing you coming in. And so my uncle said, he said, look, don't go to Duran. Let Duran come to you. Make him move forward. And he was right. But the problem was I had my lack of experience. What happened in the first round, I did what my uncle said. I just, I didn't go to him. But my inexperience caught up with me on the second round and my ego got in it. And I said, well, if I don't go in there and, and, and rough Duran up, he's not going to respect me and the crowd's going to boo me. And then my uncle said, don't worry about what they, if they're booing or not. He said, the burden of proof is not on you. It's on him because he's the great Roberto Duran. But my impatience got into it. And so I, I said, I'm going to go in there and fight this guy. So I started moving forward. And then it was just like my uncle said, he started pot shotting me because everything, every time I would try to move forward, he was in position to land another punch. And uh, literally, literally the first punch he ever threw in that fight knocked me down. He was so patient. He just waited. He just knew I was going to make a mistake. And he knocked me down. And when he when he hit, when he knocked me down, it split my that one punch. I have a really sharp tooth right here that I, I grind my teeth when I sleep, and it's really sharp right there. And my mouthpiece had came down a little bit, and he hit my lip right there, and it, it split like you took a razor blade and just went whoosh. my lip was in two pieces. You could just pull it like that apart. Oh and so when my butt hit the ground, I jumped right back up. And when I I wasn't hurt, he just hit me with a really clean shot. The, you watch the tape. I, the minute my butt hits the floor, I jumped up. I was clear-eyed looking at it. But then it was just how long could I bleed before I bleed out? Even though I was getting in, getting into the fight and giving a decent account of myself, it, it was just a matter of time because this this cut was horrible. It was over my eye, and then, and then my, my eye was cutting, and my, my lip was too. I was literally, I was bleeding out. It was bad. And so they stopped it between the sixth and the seventh. Did you want him, would not want him to stop it, but like you understood it or were you? I, did, I didn't even know I was cut. I was so high on adrenaline. I said, mm. why are they stopping the fight? You're cut, man. What? I was like, <laughs> what? I was like, I mean, uh, I felt, I felt I was, I was in such good physical shape. I was, I, I wasn't even breathing hard. I, I mean, the, the fight itself was not taking a toll on me. What was taking a toll was I, I was bleeding real bad. And, uh, mm. But he he was the better man. You know, there's no doubt about it. You know, the the difference between me and Roberto Duran is uh, the difference between a German Shepherd and a wolf. And I'll tell you what that means. A German Shepherd, if it wants to eat, it's got, all it's got to do is walk to the dog bowl and eat some dog food. When a wolf wants to eat, it's got to kill something every single day. And so that's the reason why a wolf's bite strength is 10 times that of a German Shepherd. You follow me? Mm -hmm. So I was a I was a German Shepherd and he was a wolf. He just, you know, because he came up eating out of garbage cans. 
I mean, I had my cartoons and my Fruit Loops sitting in front of the TV. I didn't have to go through them hardships. He grew up tough as leather, man. He had to steal. To, I mean, he had to, when he was a little kid, he had to fight other kids for pocket change. You know, they would, little people would throw money on the ground and say, you kids fight each other. We'll play, we'll pay you some quarters, some dimes or pesos or whatever. And so that's how he came up. And that's why he's a wolf. He has to kill to eat. Yeah, no, that's true. Was that your last fight or did you fight again after that? No, I had I had three fights after that and they were against lesser opposition and I won them all. But uh, it got to a point where I realized that I don't like to say I quit boxing. I like to say I took it as far as I could take it. And I truly did. I took it. I just realized at the end of the day that I wasn't good enough to be a world champion. And I had taken it as far as I could take it. I did get to fight one of the greatest fighters who ever lived. And that's something I'll always be able to take to my grave. I'm in an elite group of people just to even get to try to beat him. You know, yeah. yeah. So I have I have no regrets, but I, I I said goodbye to boxing, and because of I wasn't a great fighter, uh, I think that actually made me easier. It made it easier for me to walk away. You know, like somebody great as Duran. Duran fought too long, got pummeled by guys that he could have slapped in, in the jaws. You know, a few years back, but uh, I didn't have that yearn to come back because I knew there was nothing to come back to. Uh, I, and luckily, I had something to fall back on my music, which I've been doing all my life. You know, growing up singing in church, my father was a minister. I grew up in the same. I grew up in the same town of Elvis. You know, I live in Tupelo, Mississippi. That's where Elvis Presley was born, and I literally attended a lot of the churches churches that Elvis himself went to. And I have that same background as coming up uh, in church, learning how to sing. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 some of the churches I attended. Were were, were where Elvis actually attended church. It's weird. <laughs> Dang. In, in Tupelo, oh man, in Tupelo, especially among the older people, they all knew him. I mean, they they went to school with him. They just he was just Elvis. They didn't think he was that big of a deal. Uh, <laughs> but this one lady, this one lady, uh, this one lady, she's about eighty something, I guess. But she works at a she's a receptionist at the hospital. And her claim to fame is uh, when she was young and fine, she went to Elvis's house and they got it on in the jungle room and oh. she'll she's got yeah she's got pictures of herself with elvis and the, it's, it's just crazy man yeah no and, uh, way yeah. yeah elvis elvis was going well her story was elvis was he would drive through tupelo incognito because he was so famous but he spotted her in a store somewhere and he had one of his people contact her without him ever speaking to her and, and had a, somebody come and pick her up and take her to, to memphis to graceland and it's a night obviously she'll never forget but uh yeah. i told her i said she should get some merch and, and have a t-shirt that said I, I said i did it with elvis and suck all i got that. was this lousy t-shirt put i did it with elvis <laughs> on the front and then put suck on that on the back <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> oh yeah you got it that's yeah, a great you, idea yeah. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh, that's incredible. That's crazy. I had no idea. You actually have a yeah. song about the old jungle room and Elvis. Could you could you play that? I can't. It's, the whole song's not about that, but the, a little bit, bit of it, bit a little of piece it, yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I'll do this. I won't sing the whole thing. I'll just sing a little bit. Okay. Midnight at Graceland in 72 
shooting TVs with groupies in the jungle room. A little fame and fortune was all he had left. He had become a parody of himself. They dug his grave by the kitchen door. And millions of blue-haired ladies took the guy to His Chinese fan club came over on a boat and took pictures at his birthplace in Tupelo. Some disappeared, they drop out of sight. Some stay too long and get crucified. Well, this world ain't no place to be when you're larger than life. Oh, even heroes die. Well, you get the idea. Oh, man, I love that. That is so good. (laughs) Thank you. When you write that one, so what's that one? What's the basis behind that song? Uh, well, you know, obviously I've, uh, it's some of L it's just, uh, it's been so long since I wrote that song, but it's just like, whoever you look up to the most in life, you need to understand they're, they're fragile, just like you are, you know, everybody's fragile. You know, my, my hero has always been Muhammad Ali, but as great as he was, there became, there came a time when he was as fragile toward the end. He was just as fragile as a little, the little baby, you know, it's a, you know, we're all vulnerable and, and you know, it, you might be strong today, but something could happen and you'd be wiped out tomorrow. You know, it's just saying it's, it's, just, it's a testimony about nobody's perfect, you know, and uh, your heroes are flawed as well. It's true. It's a beautiful song. It's, it's great. You're so thoughtful. Like all your songs, they're so thought provoking. Has that always been with you? Uh, well, I think so. Yeah. I just, uh, uh, there's all kinds of different songs. There's some songs I write that don't mean anything just for fun. But when I when I do an album or whatever, I like to come up with something that, uh, you know, like my dad, the preacher, even though I'm not a preacher and I sing secular music, I like to give people something they can take with them from the song. I like them to get some kind of, you know, I, there's sadness in my songs, but I always try to give people a way out, you know, and, and I like us to, to uh, put a positive spin on bad situations every chance I can, you know. Yeah. And I've seen you live a few times. It's just, it's incredible. There was someone online, they said it was a religious experience. And I was like, that's a perfect way to describe it, actually. Yeah. It's like, a, it's kind of like going in church with a six pack of beer and, and a joint. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Have you ever done that since your dad was a preacher? Well, <laughs> uh, I don't want to tell too much on myself, but there's nothing there. There's nothing more intense than going to church with a pot buzz. <laughs> I get very paranoid. No, no, I get very paranoid. So I imagine I would be a wreck if I ever tried that. Yeah, yeah, it's an experience. It makes the music sound better. Uh, whether it's a good preacher or not, you think you've just heard the greatest sermon ever preached. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. On that note, uh, I just uh, six months since this is on a different subject, but six months ago, I stopped drinking. 
Oh, congratulations. Yeah, I, I stopped drinking because, uh, I, you know, during the pandemic, everybody's drinking seemed to accelerate. But mine was accelerated even before that. And so uh, I laid it down and I feel so much better. You know, some of the songs on, you know, some of the songs on the record are talking about that. Some of the songs I wrote on this record were written while I was in a bad way with my drinking. So it was just yeah. just drinking too much? Well, it started out, I would get anxiety before I'd go on stage, and I would take a shot of tequila. And then after a while, one didn't do it, so I did two. And then that didn't work. And it just kept getting snowballing. And next thing you know, I'm, in a, I'm, I'm doing a show full of four shots of tequila. And then after the show, uh, fans who want to hang out and party, I was partaking of it with them, and I was getting sloppy and... It was taking a toll on me, and it just something. It something clicked in my head one day, and I just I laid it down. And I don't have nothing against drinking in moderation, but it always seems to snowball for me, and so I just don't want to do it no more. Right, because a lot of people I know that fall into that. Because in comedy, it's the same thing. You know, have a few drinks, and then it just kind of gets out of control. But have you noticed that the show is different now that you've cleaned up? You know, it's better. I used to think I used to think that when I had a buzz that I was killing it. But look, looking back, there were times when I wasn't killing it. I was just drunk. And, and I, it's embarrassing to say, but if you ever crossed the line and then try to perform? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It ain't good. <laughs> no. It ain't good. But now my shows are actually better. I sing better. I play guitar better. Uh, my in-between songs, banner is better. And because I'm not nursing hangovers every, every every day, I can actually develop my act and put in. It's it's not a whole. It's a, It's similar to what comedians do you you don't if you're a good entertainer you don't you don't just stand there and sing songs you got to have something to think of things to say between songs and and try things out different nights you know maybe i said one thing tuesday night that didn't work so well so i won't say it wednesday night in this other crowd you know the, the drill mm -hmm. and uh and ho hopefully over time you get a really nice set and you get some really nice things to say between songs and you can use those same bits because it's in a different city you know, and then eventually you got to come up with new stuff. But I'm I'm constantly tweaking my show and tweaking what I say between songs because, you know, people are, they want to be entertained. You know, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And you do, you mix it up because I think a lot of your songs are so deep, but you do mix it up with some funny stuff. I heard something. Tell me what you think of this. I heard this, I think it was last week. Uh, and I can't remember who said it. I, anyway, he said, every comedian wants to be a rock star and every rock star wants to be a comedian. What do you think about that? I think it's true. So do I. I. It's true. Uh, yeah. 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 I, either. Well, the, I run into. I don't, I don't know so much about comedians, but I do have experience with. There's lots of actors that want to be singers, and there's lots of singers that want to be actors. Right. So, but I. But I don't. I don't have any experience with the comedians like I do the actors. But I know a lot of actors that want to be singers, and they do. And I ain't never calling. I would never call any names out. And it's really. I'm not being brutal when I say this. It's just like this. I've tried to act before, and it's horrible. I, I sounds like I'm reading. I sound like somebody doing a local furniture commercial. You know, you know, we got these over here. You know, <laughs> right. it's, I, everything's. I, I can't act, but I have friends who are great actors, 
I won't say friends, just people I know. They're great actors and they want to be singers and they and they sing, but they're not great. Right. I mean, I'm not trying to be brutal. They're just their their song. Most of the time, their 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 songs are not there, and it's just not. And and uh, you know, so every once in a while, I try to mix in a little bit of the of the. I don't call myself a comedian, but I I do try to make people laugh sometimes. It's not my whole shtick, but I do like to say things that makes people laugh. Yeah. 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 Do you like? Do you throw it in? Actually, could you play the Bad Day song? You kind of give people oh, a little a, taste of it. You talking about a great day? Yeah, 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 ass. yeah, yeah. I didn't want to say the punchline uh, in it before you sang it. <laughs> see. Have you ever had one of those days when nothing goes right? Your wife starts bitching about whatever it was she was bitching about last night. So you escape into the bathroom just to sit there on your throne. But after you finish your business, the toilet paper's gone. Well, it's a great day for me to whoop somebody's ass. It's a bad day, so you better get off of my back. You might get cold, cocked, if you cross my path. Cause it's a great day for me to whoop somebody's ass. I ain't gonna sing the rest of it, but you get the idea. It's not really worth singing. Oh, I love it. It is worth it. What are you talking about? That's a great song. <laughs> yeah. It's popular. Uh, yeah, I bet. It's like, it should be the anthem. Anybody that has a bad day just needs to pop that in, and it'll brighten your you know, day up I, a little bit. I went, the way that song came into existence, I was going to be on a, a nationally syndicated radio show called uh, Bob and Tom. Oh, you yeah. heard of them? Oh, yeah. And, and the night before, and the way I got on there, this is a, this is a flu. I even got on the Bob and Tom show because at the time I was on a long tour. I was the opening act for Toby Keith, the country singer. Yeah. 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 I was, and I did like 30 shows opening up Toby and, and uh, they, and Toby was going to be the guest on uh, Bob and Tom show. And he had gotten a little too drunk the night before and he <laughs> couldn't, and so he couldn't make it. And so they had a slot and they had no guest. And so I got to go on the Bob and Tom show and they didn't know me from Adam. And so I knew going on the show that they like comedy stuff so the night before i went on bob and tom i wrote it's a great day to whoop somebody's ass in, in my hotel room me and this other fella did that, that i write songs with and i sang it on the bob and tom show and i didn't know it they were they recorded it when i sang it they loved it yeah. and so after after i left they kept on playing it and they kept on playing it every single day and it and then other stations across the country started playing it. And so this rough version of me singing, it's a great day to whoop somebody's ass started floating around the universe and it just kind of took off. And you know, I've never recorded that song. I've never recorded it. Is really? There, I've never, no, I've never recorded it. I never, I, I don't even, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. A lot of people listen to it, but a lot of the, but you have to be careful because a lot of times if you know, like if you go to Spotify, I'm sad to say that's got more listens that I've ever done, but it's not any representation of what I really do. And so, uh, you know, it's a, a lot of people that come sometimes to my show, not so much now, cause I have a lot more fans, but a lot of times when people come to show, they were, they think they're coming 
coming to a comedy show and, and they're like, what is this? You know, because that's all they knew me by was it's a great day with somebody. So I don't, you know, I sang a little snippet of it there, but I, I tend to kind of stay away from it because uh, it's it's not the direction. It's not what I want to be known for, but I'm glad it exists. But yeah, I've never even recorded it. I, I, had no, I have no intentions of it. You know, it's just, it is what it is. It's doing its own thing. Isn't it? It's on a live album, isn't it? On the acoustic one or no? Nope. I've never put it on anything. Just really? The, what you what you hear is what I did on the Bob and Tom show the night after I played with Toby Keith. Wrote it in my hotel room. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And you wrote it the night before. Did you even play it for anybody before you sang it? Nope, didn't. We just said this might be good, and uh, it was. It went better than good. It went great. Yeah, that's and, uh, incredible. Have you ever done that before, where you haven't played a song other than that time? Uh, no, that's the only time I've ever written something the night before and then tested it on the entire nation, you know? <laughs> Man, that is ballsy, dude. <laughs> I gotta yeah. say. Because that could have went horribly wrong, you know? Yeah, it could have. It could have, yeah. And, but, uh, yeah, and then, I, and then after that, Every time I go into Indianapolis, I go on the Bob and Tom show and they and they like my serious songs and they they let I go on there and I sing whatever I want to sing. And we sit around and talk just like me and you are. And we sit around and laugh and have a good time. You know? That's awesome. Didn't Bob I think Bob retired, didn't he? Or is he back? He did. He did he retire. Did. Yeah. You can't hear the <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Yeah, he's got a great laugh, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's a good. They're nice. They're nice guys. Yeah. 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 It's a yeah great show. That brings back some memories because I don't think they're on out here anymore. I'm not sure what they're doing now. Uh, maybe they just like stored enough nuts in the tree. They can just be retired squirrels. You know, I don't know what they're doing. Right. How did you? So you said you worked at a at a furniture store, a furniture factory, a furniture factory. Furniture. Sorry. Yeah. Is that so? What were you doing with the music? Were you just doing it on the side, like going to bars on the weekends? I, I was I was working at the factory eight, five days a week. I had a, a gig at a pizza restaurant two nights a week, playing my acoustic and singing in the corner while people were eating. And then uh, I was in the National Guard during that time, and I had a, a friend of mine, Billy Maddox who was a professional hit songwriter. The most known song he ever wrote was that one for Hank Jr. Heaven ain't a lot like Dixie. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. Want, remember that. He wrote that and it wrote oh, a bunch wow. of songs. But, but anyway, he, he, he and I met him through a series of dream flukes, and he started teaching me how to write songs. And for 12 years, while I was working in the factory slash boxing slash playing in the pizza restaurant we'd also meet each week and write songs and after 12 years of this I, we built up this massive catalog of songs all right and like a lot of people back then we was sending out cassettes you know to, just to anybody that we could get their attention and one of them came across the desk of miles copeland who managed sting and the police he was Stuart copeland's brother right. who was their manager or right, who was sting's manager well, he got this tape, and it's as crazy as it sounds. He sent a representative that works with him to the pizza restaurant in Tupelo, Mississippi, where I was playing for $50 a night plus tips. And uh, and I played my original songs there in the pizza restaurant. And this man in a suit who was, when I took a break, and he said, look, man, we got your cassette, and we want to offer you a publishing deal, and we want to offer you a record deal on A&M Records. 
And it all happened because I had this big catalog of songs. And so anyway, two weeks after that meeting, I was able to quit my day job that I worked at in the factory for 12 years. And they gave me money to live on every week. I had money every other week. I had money coming to the mailbox. I got a record deal. I got signed to A&M Records. But the bad thing is when I got signed to A&M Records, unbeknownst to me, A&M during that time was being bought out by a larger company, Interscope. And so all the baby acts like myself got got booted out. But during that time, another good thing happened is uh, I got to open some shows for Sting. This is fascinating because my father being a minister, we weren't allowed to go to concerts. So the very first concert I intended, I attended in my life I was an opening act for Sting. No way. And, uh, yeah, and I did like three or four shows opening up for Sting, and it wound up getting a tour with Sting, opening up for Sting. And after the Sting tour played out, the word had gotten out about me being able to entertain with just my guitar. And so Jeff Beck, who was looking for an opening act, contacted me, and I went on a three-month tour opening up for Jeff Beck. And it just started snowballing. And I started getting all these opening slots for people like Bonnie Ray, Mark Knopfler, Toby Keith. You just the list goes on. Wow. But even even though I was the opening act and nobody knew who I was, being able to entertain like I can, I won some fans. And so what we would do strategically is, um, well, by the way, I'd lost my record deal by this time. This I, I'm skipping things, but anyway, uh, by going to all these cities opening up for these famous people. I could go back to that same city six months later and do my own show. And a lot of the people that liked me and remembered me started coming back to see me. And so these opening slots helped me build an audience. And uh, when I lost my deal with uh, A&M, I skipped a part I should have put in. But me and my partner that I wrote all the songs with, we started our own record company. We had a we, we already had a studio we was recording. And so we started pressing our own CDs. And I could be, correct me if I'm wrong, and if anybody else can say this i i truly believe that bill that i i am the very first truly independent artist we started our record company and just as a joke because we were unknown we called it uh the name of our record company to this day is perpetual obscurity records so we have <laughs> like yeah yeah and so 14 album albums later those are all albums that i recorded except for the first one on a and m all the other albums were independently done independently uh pressed me and my partner billy that i wrote songs we have a, a we've been working together since i was 17 i'm 57 but uh everything uh we own the merchandise we own everything we own everything and we're wow. truly independent and uh the only affiliation i have with any record anything was uh when i put a record out i hire sony uh red to to distribute it for me but that's just for you know we we still own everything and it's been going that way and even though i'm not a household name every every single year that i've done this we've never went backwards we our audience has, has has done nothing but grow every single year and to the point where I I have a good following now, you know, and uh, yeah. you know I'm always wanting it, wanting it to grow more. Sure, no, none of us have everything we want to get, but but where I've gotten is is pretty good. Yeah, so it actually probably worked out better than it would have if you were with them. Oh yeah, record. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you know, because uh, when you get on a record, they're going to tell you what songs you can sing and what kind of chord. I, I do literally what I want to do and how I want to do it. And uh, I just try to make sure that I, my songs are quality. You know, and, uh, I ain't going to put a record out that ain't got some good songs on it. I'm, I'm going to try my best. So what does a record label do? What would they do differently, like, I guess, if you were with them? Anything, really? Well, it, it depends. It depends. Like, if you, you know, in today's world, A&R men, you know, used to have to go out and find talent. But they really don't even have to find talent anymore. They, because they can make a, they can create a star. They can make a star out of anybody. If you can, you cannot. If you don't even know how to sing, if they put their mind to it, they can make you a star. You know, with the things they have like pitch correction, and it's a different world. You know, you, it's just weird to see people made into stars on a game show. You know, yeah. like American Idol and all that. I mean, no, I don't have nothing against that. But those kids on American Idol, uh, aside from being signed to a one-sided owner's agreement where it's going to be hard for them to make any money ever except for playing live, uh, they groom those people. They put them in the right suits. They put them, put them, you know, put the hairdo on them, get them a song written by some famous writer or something. And they can make it uh, a star out of you. But on a smaller independent record label, yeah, they'll sign you and they'll press the CDs for you. But when you start selling CDs, they're going to, they're going to have you in debt so bad that you're going to have to sell a gajillion records to even break even. Right. So I don't have, to, I don't have to fool with that. When I, you know, for, and the other thing is sadly things like CDs are, they're done. They're going the way of the dinosaur. We still print a few, but not nearly as many as we used to. Cause it's just, it's a technology that's dying. Back when they were, uh, when CDs were selling, it wasn't unusual. This might not sound like a large number to you, but we might sell thirty thousand CDs. Wow! You know, I mean, and when you're an end, when that's an independent, that's great. Right, and you own every bit of it, that adds up. That adds yeah. up. That's gone now, though. The CD things is done. So now you have to make your living on the road, and uh, you better have a following. Because a lot of these young kids I see coming up, they say, we're going on tour. Good luck. You know, until you have a following, it's tough, man. You know, and, you know, sometimes people try hard and for whatever reason, they can't get a following. They do all the right things and still nothing happens. It's so it's so random. You know, I was fortunate to be in a, a lot of places at the right time, but I was prepared when I got there. Having that catalog, I, yeah, that makes all the difference. I had that, and I had ability to put a show on because my father being a minister, one of his traits was he was a minister, but he was also an entertainer. Well, he would take, he would tell corny jokes right in the middle of a sermon, you know, and just, I, I knew how to entertain before I even was an entertainer because, you know, I singing in church all those years and, I, you know, getting up and talking in church when I was a kid, it, was, it accidentally prepared me for it. That was your training. Yeah, that's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, because people say, man, when you opened up for Sting in front of all those people, were you just terrified? And I, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I wasn't. I just looked at I used to get up in front of church and sing, and I'd say something before I sang. It was the same thing. It was just a larger crowd. Right. So, I, so I, felt pretty, I felt pretty relaxed from the get-go, you know? Right. That's so interesting. And especially because your dad, he didn't let you go to concerts, to rock shows or anything, but he's unknowingly training you to become a rock star. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, to this day, you know, uh, my parents, I guess they're proud of me, but they, in their in their minds, they I'm sure they'd wish that I was a gospel singer or a preacher or whatever. 
but uh, I'm what I am. In some ways, I still try to give out a positive message. It's not preachy or anything, but I don't claim to know anything about I don't even know what's on the other side of life. You know, that's that sounds like blasphemy if you say that in the Bible Belt, because, you know, they know yeah. what's going to happen in the afterlife. You know, it's going to be hell or heaven. I mean, yeah, yeah heaven or hell. <laughs> And uh, yeah, yeah, I get my ups and my downs wrong right, sometimes. Right. <laughs> but uh, you know, that's a that's a heavy subject. But you know, yeah. uh, I don't think I don't think at this point after after traveling the broader world and seeing people in other countries that don't even pray to Jesus, they pray to something different. I sort of come to the conclusion that the only people that knows what's on the other side of life are dead people. Yeah, you know, it's just me. And yeah. more and more, you know, I have a little interview show I do sometimes and. When I interview people, if they're receptive, and I, I always ask them this one question at the end, I always ask them, I say, what do you think happens when the lights go out? Ten times out of ten, they've all said, I don't know. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's what I mean. That's basically what it is, is faith. Faith that there is something, right? You can believe anything. I mean, you can believe that you're going to go to bed with Pamela Anderson tonight, <laughs> but, it's probably, but it's probably not going to happen. Right. <laughs> Well, speak for yourself, pal. <laughs> well, I, I, I apparently don't have your game. <laughs> no, I've got none. I've got none. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, them comedians are one. They don't want to get the latest comedians. No, no. It's no, the yeah. rock stars. Yeah, no. If you can make a woman laugh, that's the chicken in, man. Women love to laugh. Well, that's the thing is my wife says that she loves to laugh. But once we got married, she won't laugh at anything now. Like, I guess I wasted well, all she, my good material. Well, you heard you, you should have rationed your jokes. I know. <laughs> I blew you my ran out of jokes. Right. You ran out of jokes, man. <laughs> I made up a joke yesterday. I made up a joke yesterday. And you're, and you're going to you're a comedian. It takes balls to tell a joke in front of a comedian. Okay. It suck. But I made it. Man, it's, it's OK. It's, I made this up yesterday. Man, did you hear about uh, Mr. Potato Head? They said he was beating his wife. Did you hear about that? No. Yeah, man, come to find out he was a dictator. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dad joke right there. That's, Is that a good joke? <laughs> That's a great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's one you could tell the kids in front of their friends to embarrass them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Nice job. <laughs> yeah. It just, it just kind of came to me. I think it was God spoke, speaking through me. <laughs> it had to have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. What was, hey, what was the first song? Some other people have recorded some of your songs, correct? Yeah, yeah. What was the first song that somebody was interested in buying from you? Oh, uh, well, I was playing the Bluebird in Nashville. You know that place? Yeah, actually, yes, the yeah, Bluebird, the, I yeah. Was, I, I was playing the Bluebird, and uh, I sang a song I wrote called Wednesday Night Prayer Meeting. It was about being a preacher's kid. Mm -hmm. And the producer of the country group, Shenandoah, do you remember them? Mm -hmm. Shenandoah. Yeah. Their producer was there and heard this song called Wednesday Night Prayer Meeting. And he approached me. And, and next thing I know, I had my very first cut on this group called Shenandoah. Yeah. It's weird. Wow. Just they, he just he just heard me singing at the Bluebird, you know. And, I, you know, I, I got my first cut. And then after that, a bunch of people started cutting my songs. And I didn't ever have one that was a hit, but I had tons of album cuts, you know. 
I didn't set out to write songs for other people, but it's great when it happens. Yeah, especially when it's somebody that if you get if you're lucky to get somebody that's currently hot that's on the radio, then you can make some real money. Yeah. Sure. How does that work when someone wants to record one of your songs? Do you just split it, or do you have to stop playing it altogether, or can you still play it? How does that all work? They can they can record it. They can record it. They just uh, you have to be compensated off of uh, if it gets played on the radio. You they tab that up and you get paid for that and you get paid off physical. Well, you don't now so much. But you used to get paid off physical sales. And if they're if you're fortunate to this this is a bad example, but it's a out out there example. But if you're fortunate enough to get on like a Garth Brooks album or something back in the day, you can make a half you could make a half a million dollars, man, off just one song. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I have a lot of friends that have been fortunate enough to get uh, songs that became hits. And it's, it's you know, it's stupid money. I mean, it's like $500,000, $750,000 just for writing the song, you know, because the record sold so much and, and it got going on the radio and everything. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Is it just royalties pretty much? I guess you just, yeah. And you know, and then to this day, I still get, you know, every, every quarter I get a check from BMI. It's not as much as it used to be, but it's, it always comes in handy. I didn't even work to get it. I didn't, I didn't plan on it. Aside from that one cut, I got it. The bluebird, the rest of the cuts just came from different artists getting my CDs and just listening to my CDs and picking songs off my CDs. Oh, I didn't. Wow. I didn't pursue it at all. I, I mean, I was got uh, one of the nicest guys in the business, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus, out of the blue, got my phone number somehow and called me one day when I was at the gym and I'd written a song called uh, "Burn Down the Trailer Park" and he wanted to record it, record it, and he did. And uh, he wanted me, to, and I sang on his. He wanted me to sing background vocals with him on the record. Shot a video. I was in the video with Billy Ray and all that. And uh, you know, just things happen. You know, I think I could when I was in the when I was in the vocal booth doing uh, uh, vocals with Billy Ray. I said to him, I said, "Man, I said uh, I, I'm saying this because uh, I want to help you." I said. You need to cut that mullet off. I said. I said you need to cut that mullet off. That time has passed, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I was joking around with him when I said yeah. that. But yeah. like a month after that on TV, I saw him. He cut his mullet off. Oh, I don't know if I was the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but you're responsible for that. I don't know, but you know, he 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 doesn't have the mullet anymore. <laughs> but strangely, have you noticed mullets are back? They are. Yes, I just saw They're a back. guy yesterday who had a beautiful mullet. Yeah, yeah, Kentucky waterfall. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. right. <laughs> but yeah, just things happen all through life. You know, some of it is good, some of it ain't. Yeah, his daughter actually has a mullet. Have you seen that? Ooh, uh, Miley. 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 Man, you know what? Uh, I'm a big fan of Miley Cyrus. Uh, She's got a great voice. What you know? What I like her songs. I like her voice. Uh, I and just where she. I mean, she came up kind of like. Uh, Ron Howard did with Andy Griffith. She got involved in this show, you know, uh, the Hannah Montana show, which is a really good show. It stands the test of time. It's it, it's a good show. And she got all this she got all this experience as an actress, and then she got all this experience as a singer. And now she's a seasoned pro, and one of my favorite one of my favorite talents out there. Yeah, that's true. I saw her when she was a little baby because when I go over to Billy Ray's house. But it, I, I used to see her all the time when she was a little baby, but I never really knew her that well. But uh, I like to go over. I've been over to Billy Ray's house a few times. And uh, he's the only person I know that has a gas pump at his yard. And, uh, like he for always, your car? Uh, he has a gas pump at, in his yard. And right before we left, he filled our tank up for free. No way. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How cool is that? And one, and, well, and then he took us for a ride one night out on his property in his Jeep, and uh, we got out to take a whiz, and this other guy was with us. We were standing there taking a whiz, and the, uh, the my friend that was standing there, he was looking up at the sky while he was taking a whiz, and all of a sudden, a, a dog came up and licked him on, the, on his pecker, <laughs> licked, licked him on his pecker. And so I didn't say anything, but it was almost like that dog was trained. And I looked at Billy. I looked at Billy and I said, come on now. Come on now. <laughs> he didn't say, he didn't say, he didn't, he didn't deny or confirm. He didn't. <laughs> but, yeah. He just let it sit. He just straight faced oh, that's you. All, yeah. That dog was trained. That dog was trained. <laughs> He's going to be excited to be known for that. No, I'm not accusing anyone. No, no. I'm not even, I'm not, I'm just know what happened. <laughs> You're just recounting facts. That's it. That's it. I'm just, I'm just the voice of God. He's speaking through me. <laughs> oh, that's good. Hey, would you do, could I uh, request one more from you? I know a classic one. What's that? Uh, the one that uh, Jerry Jeff Walker did, uh, Where Was I? Oh, yeah, I can do that one. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's a great song. It's a beautiful song. Okay. On a black and white TV back in grammar school. I was watching Neil Armstrong walking on the moon That same day I pretended I was an astronaut On the playground monkey bars I flew above the stars I was in a Dallas disco the night John Lennon died DJ played Imagine and everybody cried I remember a thousand lighters held up in our hands All we were saying was let's give peace a chance But where was I when you stopped loving me When did I become his story there's not many things that escape my memory tell me where was I when you stopped loving me Every 20,000 years that comet lights up the night On a blanket we watched it sail across the sky A moment like that comes just once in life It felt like our first time at 11.35 Where was I? When you stop loving me When did I become his story There's not many things that escape my memory 
Tell me where was I when you stopped loving me? I remember when I met you, the taste of our first kiss. I remember your goodbye. But could you tell me this? Where was I when you stopped loving me? When did I become history? There's not many things that escape my memory. Tell me where was I when you stopped loving me? Where was I when you stopped loving me? Good Lord, man. That is so good. Thank you. Man. Do you ever get tired of playing it? Oh, no. I don't get tired of playing it. You know, it's, it's, it's a song I'm proud of. You know, got recorded by Jerry Jeff Walker. And, uh, you know, a lot. that's the funniest thing. This song right here, when I wrote it, everybody that heard it did what's called put it on hold. You know what that means? I'll just use a name of, of just a random name. I'll say Garth Brooks. He's a big time artist. All right. So say Garth Brooks heard Where Was I. He didn't, but just say he did. And he'd say, I want to cut that song, put it on hold. That means don't let nobody else record it until they make a final decision. So I had all these artists. I mean, everybody put this song on hold. It got put on hold by everybody. But what kept it from getting cut every time? was the artist that wanted to cut it was so vain, they did not want to acknowledge that they were old enough to be in a Dallas disco the night John <laughs> Lennon died. Are you I serious? swear to God. I swear to God. They said I was I wasn't that old. Yeah, it's like, and I had more. I'm not making this up. It's like crazy. And 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 they kept telling me to rewrite it, make it, make it something more, more current so that they could wouldn't feel old. And uh, and it's just, but yeah, but everybody loves it. Everybody, everybody loves that song. I don't mean to name drop, but I, I know Keith Urban and and Keith and I have written a few songs together. And uh he loves that song, but because of what I said, he know, didn't want to. He was one of them that didn't want to? You know what? I, I'm going to make, you know what? I made him, I miss, in the words of Hillary Clinton, I misspoke when I said that. He He's always loved that song. He's always loved that song. In fact, we did a show together a long time ago before he was as big as he is now. And when I would sing it, he would come out on the stage and sing it with me. Yeah. Really? And, uh, and we, he loves this song. He loves this song, but he, he didn't record it. I don't know what his reason was, but the other artists, aside from Jerry Jeff Walker, they wouldn't they wouldn't touch it because they, they, they didn't want to be acknowledged that they were that old. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. When somebody puts it on hold, do they pay you to hold it? No, they don't. But you, but when it's somebody like, you know, some somebody like a Tim McGraw or a Faith Hill, somebody that's big, you put it on hold because you hope you're crossing your fingers that they'll cut it, you know. Joe Diffie, you know who Joe Diffie is? 
Uh, I've heard the name, but I'm not from. I'm not too familiar. Yeah, yeah. He. Oh, never mind. It's not that interesting of a story. Well, let's. Anyway. Yeah, well, I he, do. I do. He, he, yeah, he, he I know Joe. He record. He he record. He recorded it, but it didn't make the album because it's something weird. Something. Some reference in the song reminded him of. This was a different reason, but some line in the song. His girlfriend at the time didn't like it. Didn't like the line in the song, so I, his girlfriend stopped stopped it from being on the record. You're kidding, really? What do you think that line was? I can't remember. I can't remember, but I just remember there was something about the song that she didn't like, and uh, apparently he had a ring in his nose and uh, <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't record it. <laughs> That's usually how it goes, right? Though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to do what the boss says, otherwise. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's such a good I can song. Go on. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, it's it's. I don't know. It's it's people. People always love that song, and everybody hears it like they just their jaws drop because it, it, it hits pretty hard, man. It, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know, man. I don't. I just. I guess it'll be a song that people like, but nobody will record it. Yeah, that's correct. That's so true, actually. Because I, whenever I, everybody I put it on for, I'm trying to go, I'm like Rolodexing it in my head. And yeah, nobody's ever said that they didn't like it or change it or anything. Everybody loves it. Yeah, it's 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 one of my my favorites that I've ever been involved with. Yeah, and I'm really proud of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that one well, that you write really fast? No, that one took some. That one took some woodshed because we had to come up with events that were known by everybody. You know, like the, you know, John Lennon got shot, the, the other things that happened, first man on the moon. Once we figured out what this, what thing, but this, the hook in the song is this man remembers all this stuff, but he doesn't remember when she stopped loving him, you know, probably had his head too close to the TV, yeah. like a lot of us do, right. taking your woman for granted, you know? Yeah. And it does. It, it pulls on the, uh, pulls on the old heartstrings every time without fail. Yeah. Yeah. And the acoustic version, can I just say, the acoustic version, like the studio version is awesome, don't get me wrong, but the acoustic version, you just get the emotion with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, this is this, this a lot, uh, it doesn't need much instrumentation. It's always a sign of a good song is when you can play it with an acoustic guitar and it works, you know you got a good song. Yeah. Do you prefer doing acoustic or with the full band? I've seen you both. Uh, I've seen you do acoustic and the full band. I like them both in different ways. Sure. They're, they're, they're just totally they're dope, different animals, you know. Uh, I enjoy both of them. You know, I can't say I like one more than the other. They both have good p points to them. How do you decide which one you're going to do, an acoustic show or the band show? Uh, mostly I do band shows, mostly. I've had the same band for over 20 years. And, uh, oh, wow. Guys. And, you know they're in it for the long haul, and you know I'm, we're gonna we're gonna do it as long as we can do it. You know, as long as we got strength in our bodies and mental ability to do it. Yeah, well, that's good. Do you want to do another one more new one? Should we end on another new one? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm excited about this next song. Uh, it's called "Breaking Up for Good Again," and uh, I wrote this in my house. And it's about if you're in a relationship, like you're married, right? Yep. Okay, so you'll understand this. There, you, it's good to be together, but sometimes in, when you're together, you have arguments and maybe something goes awry and, and you need to take a break from each other. You know, sure. you still love her and she, and she still loves you, but this it's good to have a little break every now and then. And so on the album, my wife is singing this song with me on my album. Oh, yes. that's cool. And she, yeah, and uh, on another cool note, uh, September 21st, she and I are going to sing this song on the Grand Ole Opry. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is, I'm going to sing it by myself, but in the, but you'll, 
when you hear the record, you'll get it. But I'm going to sing it by myself, but on the record, we're singing a duet. Okay, here it goes. so good you like that i love that yeah that is awesome thank you thank you on the ver- on the on the album version me and my wife are like literally singing we're alternating lines all the way through it it's like we're having a conversation oh oh yeah. that's good i like that yeah we're talking yeah we're talking to each other yeah 
Okay. Does your wife sing? Uh, is she a singer? Not, you know, not really. She sang in, in the choir at church. Uh, but when, when I was writing a song in the living room, uh, I kept hearing her through the walls singing harmony with me. And it was so good. And, and, and I don't mean to name drop, but I had an idea who I originally wanted to sing this song with me was uh, Leanne Womack. You know her? Yeah. She's my favorite female country singer. And initially I thought I'm going to reach out to her because I know her and, and, and see if she'll sing it on with me. But then I decided, you know what? The people that's living, these, me and my wife, we're living this song. So we'll sing it together. You know, yeah. And uh, she she went to the studio, and she'd never been in a studio in her life, and she was real nervous. And so we, uh, the producer who saw that she was nervous, he put a four wall petition around uh, those portable walls. Put a four wall petition around us. Put one microphone in the middle. We sang the song three times, and then they took the best of all the three takes and made it the record. And uh, my band put a little bit, just very little instrumentation. It's most, it's pretty much just an acoustic song on the record. But she, she nailed it, man. And, and it's, I'm really proud. It's my favorite song on the record. Uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming you hadn't heard it, but you will. We're singing it at the, at the Opry, like I said, uh, the 21st. Yeah. Uh, that's gonna be a cool experience. Have you sang at the Opry before? I've I've been I've I've been on the Opry twice. This has been my third time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be Heather's first time for sure. My wife. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's special. That'll be really cool. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I can imagine. And it, it, oh, it's, that's on the new album. It comes out August sixth. Yep. Yeah. And if you pre-order it before then, you get three of the songs. That's true. Yeah. Where so. are the songs? You get never too late to call. You get never too late to call. You get one called uh, Two Tears of Joy, and there's one called uh, Holy Hotty Toddy. Are you familiar with the phrase Hotty Toddy? Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I didn't go to college, but uh, I don't know much about that whole culture, but I went to her. I went and heard my daughter sing in a club one night. My daughter had a band at one time, my oldest daughter, and it was, it was in Oxford. At, uh, at old Mississippi. Oh yeah, the, old Miss that's like yeah, the yeah, home yeah. of Hobby yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, during the, during the night there, I kept hearing all these college kids ever going hotty toddy, hotty toddy, <laughs> and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it meant. So I looked it up in a dictionary, and uh, it meant two things. It meant all things Oxford, or it meant a greeting. And so I took the second one, and I wrote a song called Holy Hotty Toddy. And the chorus says, it's real simple, holy, hotty, toddy, good God almighty, love everybody. That's the chorus, the lyric of the chorus. But anyway, so it's on the album. And uh, one of the communication promoters over there at the college, they want to use our song in some kind of campaign for the college. So something good's already happened with the song, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a lot of good things happening. Yeah. That's incredible. So check out the new album, pre-order it. You get those three songs. And then he's got a ton of tour dates coming, but a lot of them are selling out. So people got to get on there at paulthorne.com backslash tour to check out all the tour dates. Are you adding any new dates or is this pretty set? No, they're they're coming in. You know, we, I had for nine months, I didn't work at all. So, you know, a lot of the... A lot of the gigs that got canceled are going to been rescheduled. And there's, I got more work than I can stand right now. Yeah. I just hope the, the another flu doesn't shut the world down again. You know? Yeah. This variant is, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's not out of the question. Yeah. It's not out of the question at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. Well, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully everything doesn't and everything keeps rolling like it is. And uh, Paul Thorne will keep on rolling. I'm going to roll till I can't roll. 
you know. <laughs> right. That's what you got to do, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, Paul. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with me, man. This is truly, this has been, this has been quite a treat. I'm a huge fan. So this is, this has been awesome. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed talking to you too well as well, man. And uh, you're just like me. You're trying to get, keep something going. I hope your show continues to grow and you get more followers because you got a, you got a good way of doing your thing. You do it good. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot to hear you say that. I appreciate that. All right, man. Well, thank you. We'll see you guys all next time. Thank you.